Hello, Swenson Sound. I sat up and I made that god awful sound because I saw my cat on the floor and she's adorable. She ran away early. We were just like cuddling and then she ran away for some reason. She just did this weird little flip and got the zoomies and I didn't realize she came back in. Hi, Ivy. Hi, baby. She's looking at me. Come up here if you want attention, okay? I'm respecting your boundaries, baby girl. <laughs> Sometimes I wish, I really do honestly wish, that I could have like a linguistics expert listen to all of these episodes and tell me something about myself because I love language, but I I I get too close to the source. Everyone's gonna have some kind of bias and trying to control perception. So even if I know things, I'm not as well-versed as I would like to be, one, and two, it's just, like, too close to home kind of thing. Um, it was raining, and now it's not. It's still a pretty warm day. I want to say it's, like, 26, 7 Celsius. Um, so this could be on a walk outside, but I had already mentally prepared to sit in bed. But now this one's calling me in a very Ferris Bueller way. But... This episode is maybe more aptly about interpersonal relationships, but those are very much built on trust, and so that's why I feel like trust is maybe a better overarching name for this. But just to go along with that, I kind of wanted to start off discussing interpersonal dynamics and some things that I've like actively had to take in stride in an attempt to deepen my relationships with the people in my life. And... The first is something that I just, like, learned for myself a few years ago at this point. But I I just don't believe in taking things personally. Um, And this is kind of a weird thing to explain. And it's it's not something where I have a great intro to it yet. But I will say that... I was able to not take things personally by understanding how reactionary I had become in my own day-to-day life. And when I say reactionary, I just mean it's like you're not making a conscious decision. Like someone says something or does something and you're just like immediately jumping in, whether it's a like positive or negative emotion in any direction. It's just like you feel riled up. It feels like you're not in control of your actions maybe, but control feels like a pretty loaded term. And in a most severe form, it's whenever you feel, like, triggered in day-to-day conversation. And I think that it's, like, a lot of the times whenever you're in, you're reactionary rather than present, it's the same kind of mechanism that comes with being triggered by something, where it's just like, oh, this thing reminds me of the past, but usually with triggering, it's something more traumatic, so you'll know the direct link. And that's kind of the issue with being traumatized is that it'll bring you back to that moment. You'll relive it very vividly um, and then act as though the past is right now and what the first step with that kind of trauma. I'm not going to get too into depth with that because if you've had a traumatic experience, like seek a professional if you're able to or more (laughs) professional resources, um, if nothing else, because there's plenty available. Um. But a big thing, like, the first thing you do once you realize you've, you've been, like, triggered by something is to, like, tell yourself that you're, you're here. The past is not happening right now. There may be a similar cue, and that's indicating to your body that's in danger. So find a way for just, like, tell yourself you're here and then make space for yourself. Get somewhere where you are safe or set, like, some kind of boundary because boundaries further relationships. They don't end them. Um, then they can also be deconstructed over time once it feels as though, like, because sometimes boundaries are kept up to continue relationships and then they become detrimental once it's something that you harp on. And that's why just always understand that dynamics change. And uh, similarly, eventually, once you get used to, it'll become almost automatic to recognize that you've been triggered. It'll be like, you'll kind of know in advance, like, what your triggers are. And that's why when I would talk about, like, the eating disorder episodes where, like, I'm going to be talking about food, which is probably probably a trigger for anyone with disordered eating. So just, like, know that. And you'll kind of know what topics to avoid in order to not go into that pit 
or maybe if you're someone who's a little silly like me, I would kind of like microdose being <laughs> triggered and I'd like actively seek out content so that I could work through it on my own in like my room. And I don't really recommend that just because it worked for me, but I'm a weird kind of person. But just in general, with any emotion, you kind of decide, most people will decide how they feel about something upon a first encounter. Um, and that's why people be like, oh, first appearances are so important. Because most people are not willing to reassess um, a, something they've decided to be true for themselves be, for the sake of like streamlining. And there's just so much information to process in the world. It's like, oh, I'm just going to trust that I've assessed this well. I won't take a second look because, like, yeah, like, my my reaction, that's definitely not a trained thing. I'm sure this is just what I believe. And that's why I believe in always, like, deconstructing your own mechanisms for um, that kind of review. But it gets, like, funky when your entire dynamics then become things that you're just reliving you're just reliving the past constantly because you're never questioning more than never questioning you're just always deferring to a former action that is just habitual and so it's one of those things where it's like people have gotten to the point where it's like oh how are you it's just like you just say good to the point that like that question is more of a hello and a long time like this is cheesy or like corny but I young and also I still stand by it but I will always answer that honestly I'll always be like oh like today's been like really good like there I had mochi and I've been craving it for so long or I'll be like you know it's honestly kind of tough like um like my coworker asked me earlier this week like on Monday he was like oh how are you doing or Tuesday and I was like oh, honestly it was really rough I went to my grandma's memorial this week but that and he was like oh that's kind of difficult. And then he told me about like something difficult going on with him. And that actually, like, it's how conversations work. That's how that question is supposed to go. It's meant to allow you to connect. If you're always there in the present, like really assessing a situation with your current knowledge. And sometimes, and that's not saying your former decision was wrong. Whatever you have been deferring to is wrong. Like that reactionary state. Um, but it's just like in any given moment, you're doing the best with what you have. But if you're constantly deferring to the past, then you're not doing the best with what you have. Uh, you're doing the best with what you used to know. And then that kind of just continues a habit of living in the past. You know? And then your friendships aren't as active. Nothing in your life is very present. And it can just kind of feel like you're out of tune a little bit. And some people will just keep funneling through life that way. And maybe it's just because I'm particularly sensitive to this kind of thing. Or I can take it to such extremes that I've detailed another episode, one other episode where I was talking about how I realized this feeling of blindness that I used to have sometimes. Where I was like, I walk around all the time and I can't remember seeing anything. I know what's there, but I don't remember seeing anything. And what really drove me to like those intentional walks where I would just listen to my gut and I felt my luckiest then and I felt like I was really in tune with the universe and woo <laughs> oh, horrible pitch but you know it's like that um so yeah if you ever feel it's okay pause so after you do this for a while, it can it can be like emotionally draining because you have to put a lot more energy into interactions than you used to because you're being more present and that just does require more energy. But it's really worth it, really rewarding the kind of connections that you're able to feel. But after you get used to that, it's a I think it's good for like questioning habits to become mechanisms because then the questioning isn't so difficult. And that's kind of how I live my life or where I train myself to just like, oh, like I can question this. These questions are helpful and I'm not going to stop any other questions that come forward because I just really want to understand the situation. So that way I'm always best equipped rather than having my answer ready. I want to have my steps ready. Um, but after a while, you'll be like, oh, I've made such progress. And like you can never stop trying. Like you always have to keep doing this because even years later, even years after like, making this a practice sometimes I'll be like 
why am I suddenly so fired up? I, and I am just like an energetic individual. So sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm just on one, you know? Uh, if, if, for example, if I've had any amount of caffeine, <laughs> I'm going to babble. Um, maybe to myself on a podcast, but that's fine. That's valid. Um, but yeah, no. So it, it's the kind of language that's used in communities where people practice this is like, oh, like what unhealed part of me is not being served right now and I'll get on to the idea of serving in a second but I want to take a moment to note uh, both the wording that I use with being a healed person and the term of validity and because I was friends with someone who we, we just grew apart nothing like happened but he had this whole thing where he he hated that people said like oh like what your feelings valid like that's so fair um but to me because he he was someone where he's like yeah I know what I feel is fair and the using the word to indicate that a feeling is fair means that sometimes it's not like the implication that one thing could be that the other isn't and I'm very much someone who like I, I do agree with that but I think we have to first get to a point and like take it kind of case by case and just like because right now, like, there's the, there's the whole phenomenon of, like, how lonely people in the U.S. are. And just increasingly globally, people are, like, becoming, having less and less friends, specifically men. And so you're just always kind of going to feel like, oh, my feelings aren't valid. Like, if, if that is the base state, then you have to f- get to <laughs> the base being everybody knows their feelings are valid. So then you don't have to call it that anymore. And it's like, it is very idealistic. And on the one hand, I can respect that. But also, if you can see a friend struggling and being like, oh my God, like, I don't think what I'm feeling is fair. It's like, you're, you always feel things for a reason. Even if the reason is that it was something that happened to you in the past, and this is reminding you of that, you have to acknowledge that to get to this past version of yourself. So you have to validate your own emotions very continually. And that can be hard for someone who's never felt that in their life, who's like parents never validated their emotions, but that's why you have to start stepping up for yourself. Um, and this is going to lead into how you can serve yourself as well. But um, also in terms of like the unhealed or healed thing, I in, again, these kinds of communities where people discuss um, working through trauma or just trying to be better versions of yourself whatever that means to a person healed uh, has is also a loaded term because people will always think that means um that there's like there is a final version of you there's a pristine form there's an idyllic self you know that there's someone where it's like oh the work is done kind of whereas the work keeps going because you always have to be present and to believe that there is a final healed form is kind of silly but I do think it can still be useful to say that this part is unhealed and it can be difficult because the implication in your brain if you don't think about this language is then that you are working towards completion rather than working on parts of a whole continuously so I think if I'm always phrasing it to myself as like oh I'm just working on this thing then I can keep working on it you know um but in terms of serving it, like once, once you realize you've been, you're, you're being reactionary, you're being pulled to the past, you're being pulled to when you first felt that emotion and you're just working on that knowledge and not questioning it. Um, it can be, honestly, like if, if you're comfortable and you're with the person you're talking, you can be like, this situation's like really reminding me of something that happened to me as a kid. And this is how I responded as a child. And this is why I responded this way. It was like, I was feeling like insecure I felt like I was being I wasn't being understood and I kind of lashed out because I was coming from a place of like deep ego building because that's what happens as a child and it can be so frustrating when you're small and you're just like you have such limited facility and not to like it's just kind of factual um and you're at such like a loss and a power dynamic that all you can feel is like that pure frustration 
And a lot of times that's why people will act out in pure frustration in like interpersonal conflict, even if it's something small and why people can escalate such small things to such grand levels. But if you have a conversation, you're like, oh, like this is how I felt as a kid. And this is how I, that's really important in a lot of psychology um, to show yourself how to, how you would have done things differently. So you could be like, I really wish that my parent had like understood this thing I was going through. I wish this is what they said. And one, if you're saying this to the person, if you feel comfortable doing that, then you can be like, oh, like they'll, they'll understand you better. You can give yourself a version of the situation where that's what happened. You can be like, oh, like this is that. And if that's too much of an extreme, there's this whole thing of like talking to your inner child. Like that is your inner child. It's also an inner teen. There's always just some past version of yourself that you can kind of comfort on your own. And you can be, you can give, because after the fact, you know what you needed in that moment. And because you never got it, even from yourself, because you keep being reactionary, um, there's so much comfort in finally being like, yeah, like I just needed someone to tell me that this thing was okay or the, to like feel heard, to feel understood. And so you can do that for yourself for the past version and then do that in any instant moment to kind of find center, to find presence and then continue having a conversation just about what the conversation is about. It's that whole thing of making a conversation about something that it isn't. And honestly, this is one of my biggest pet peeves. But I can also always pretty easily recognize when someone else is making conversation about something that it isn't. And it's kind of uh, uh, like I've done the work for myself and I've become pretty comfortable in this. So I can always try and help someone else talk through if if they're open to it. I'm like, I'm not going to infantilize someone or therapize them if they don't want to. But I'm like, hey, I kind of feel like this thing you're talking about is actually about this other thing like I feel like there's a grudge or some like resentment and I'd really like to talk through that because it is also from my own understanding um but you can kind of like give other people this process once you've gotten comfortable with it so yeah because to me emotions are cues they teach you about yourself and your values and I think a lot of people, I over-intellectualized my emotions for a long time and I didn't know how to feel them. And this sounds maybe corny or like uh, intangible, but I would be, I would just kind of have the feeling come up. And sometimes based on like that past tie to the emotion, I'd be like, okay, what did I want in that moment? And now I can give that to myself. Um or sometimes it could be like, a, and that's what this part of why expression is so important to me, but it could be like, I'll go participate in a silly little hobby of mine. I'll literally do calligraphy. Or like you just find these extensions of yourself. And sometimes it's a gut reaction of like, oh, like I feel this way. I'd like to do this like helpful, creative thing. And that can also create new pathways in how you react. Because sometimes like I used to like stress eat a lot. Or, like, emotionally, like, just eat my feelings kind of thing. And it wasn't necessarily about food because it's one of those things where it's, like, binging can be a, an addiction kind of. Or, like, to me, that's, uh, that's kind of how it registered where it's, like, stuffing the feelings so you don't feel... It's being so, like, painfully full that I didn't have to feel any other emotion. And it's not about the end product. Like, it wasn't about the feeling of fullness, or the control of image, or, like, controlling feeling, even though it was about control, like, what I did was a mechanism to gain control, but it was about those feelings that I was avoiding, so if I can take the avoid feelings I avoid and attach them to something, like, new and fun, like, calligraphy has been a little hobby of mine lately, Um, so if you can attach negative feelings and do something else to, like, subconsciously process them, so if I'm, like, drawing like drawing therapy is a thing music therapy horse therapy so if you're doing one activity and in the background you're able to kind of process the difficult emotions this is kind of why they say that like if you do tetris after like really bad car crash or something you're likely going to be able to process it better because then anytime you play tetris you can like feel safe enough to access those thoughts 
Um, so it's kind of just retraining a trigger. Um, because then also with something where it's more negatively framed with binging, where it's like, if you restrict, then you'll feel negative and it'll be like kind of like a Pavlovian situation. So yeah, just retraining the neural pathways, paradigm shift, all of that stuff, baby. Um, but yeah, so emotional cues can just teach you a lot. And sometimes it's good to, instead of acting on emotions the way you always have, which means that's that whole quote of like, how are you going to expect change when you do the same thing all the time? Um, or doing the same things and expecting change or different results is like, that's the definition of insanity. It's like something like that. Um, and I want to say it's Albert Einstein, <laughs> which is crazy because then I just completely butchered it with my with my form of speech. But, yeah, so if you just recognize the feeling, validate it, and go from there, wherever, like, your soul in the moment is like, oh, I could really use this, and you give yourself the tools to, like, feel better, then then you you got to know yourself better in that process. You got to know how you react to things. You got to understand something differently about yourself which to me is the coolest thing on this planet. So, you know, word. Um, I'm also scared that this is going to stop. So yeah, I just, and that's part of why I feel as though I don't fear negative emotions anymore at all because I only view them as an opportunity to know myself better and to give myself the kind of treatment that I didn't really receive as a kid. Um, so it's really good opportunity to show up for yourself. But this is one of those things where you have to work on your self-image. You have to work on how you understand yourself before you can even want to. Because if, if you don't like yourself, like you're not going to want to show up for yourself. You're not going to want to show up. And this is one of the things where the concept of radical acceptance of just being like, yeah, and what about it? Like I'm just like just, I mean, radical acceptance is a little different. It's about always accepting your responsibility in any role or like the part you played in any given situation rather than assigning blame you're like I did this thing and I could have done this differently and I'm gonna acknowledge my role rather than tell you what you should have done differently so that's more radical acceptances but to me I in like it's canonical terms but I just like the the words (laughs) themselves and the implicate the applications they could have which is more to say that it, I, I like it as radical acceptance of self. It's like, I feel this way about myself. I'm telling myself I'm this way. And it's like, yeah. And what about it? And it, to me, it's almost like, if you don't like that, then change. And that's not, and some people could be like, but then it's not me. It's not me if I'm not this like horrible thing I think about myself. And I'd kind of like rebuttal with, then why do you want to be different? If your like self, if if your own mind is telling you that you want to be a certain way or that something about you doesn't sit right with you, that's literally you trying to become more in alignment with whatever best self you see your you can see you can envision. And so yeah, just don't be like. There's no emotion you have to be scared of when you have like tools to take care of yourself and to deepen your relationships. And I think that's great. And for a long time, the kind of analogy I used for this was that emotions are like hunger because when you're hungry, you eat, you know? Um, when you're hungry, you don't go for a jog. That's not what you do. <laughs> like, Or if you do, that doesn't make any sense. And to me, that's kind of how I phrased... And that eating, we're, this is going to sound strange, will look different for everyone. So if you're like, if I'm sad or trying to work through something, I'll go on a long walk and I'll talk to the podcast or I'll do something productive in the background. And that'll be how I like satiate that emotion. Um, you know, it's how I'll provide stability to myself now instead of binging. Um, so yeah, I literally, it's been, it's been a lot. I haven't kept count. I actually have an app for this, so I guess I could check how long it's been. But I have an app that kind of, it's like, it's a sobriety app, but it's something that's also useful for, like, eating disorders. 
Um, oh, it's not been as long as I thought. It's been three months since... Uh, so rather than for, because I have a very complicated relationship with eating, it's any time I exhibit disordered behavior, I will um, just like then update it. But I think before that, uh, so I used to not be able to get through like a week for years without this being the case. Um, but I had almost a year long, uh, from February 16th to November 14th um, was my longest streak, 271 days. And it went from, yeah, then my next week was November to almost, to, hello, kitten, January 23rd. And that was a particularly difficult day. <laughs> uh, not that that's an excuse, and that's when you need to, like, help yourself and reinforce things the most. But you also, this is why I'm so big on forgiveness, is that if you're, if you bash yourself for what you deem as failure, then you're just going to keep feeding into the belief that you're a horrible person and you don't deserve support. And then you're just going to keep acting in your old ways rather than supporting yourself. Um, but yeah, since January 23rd, <laughs> it's been, I've been chilling, I guess. I mean, I've, there's definitely been like, some days are easier than others, but just always show up for yourself. The moments where it's most difficult tend to be when it's most important. Um, yeah, because otherwise you're just, it's the thing that I harp on, you're perpetuating stories to validate beliefs of self. And you can change all of that. It's, you can't, because the way that you feel, it's not inauthentic, but you were trained to feel this way. It's one of those things where it's like, if you have a horrible thought, and you're like, oh my God, why did I think this about that person? The fact that you're questioning it, that's, prob that's what you really think, and whatever that first thought was, was something you've been like told, something that it's been, in, like you've been socialized, it's been ingrained in your mind. But some people can be so out of sync with themselves that they just take whatever they've been trained to do as the self, as their authentic truth. And this is when what leads to all these behaviors that don't really align with you, where you take on other people's strategies to feel better. And it's like, it's not going to work because you're different people. And that's okay. And under, and like doing things with friends that make them feel better and just doing things have then taking turns and doing things that make you feel better depending on who's having a more like down day maybe or whatever you both need it can be so enriching to like understand these things about your friends to have these conversations with them and then know how to support each other and ivy's on the bed now hi baby <laughs> um in case you heard her wrestling about making little mer sounds so Mm-hmm. But going back again to the Jigsaw episode, I feel like that's going to be something... Because Jigsaw, um, the Daniel Sloss special, really... It's in my brain for good. It's just, it's just there. And it became a framework to how I understood a lot of different things. So I think it's useful to go back to, and I'm glad that I did that before other parts instead of just trying to do some grand episode. Um... But if you're deciding how people feel based on your own rules, you, this is leaning into the trust element, you aren't giving them the chance to be trusted. You're pretty innately saying, like, I don't trust you not to hurt me. I'm going to control the situation in any way I can by making all of these rules on my terms and hiding myself. Like, that is, <laughs> and with even the episode on intimacy, it's all about trust. Like, if you aren't being showing up as yourself, if you're living in this trained ways, despite knowing that that's detached from how you feel. Um, I mean, that is really how you present. So that really is like, quote unquote, who you are because of how it affects things. But you know, you want to act differently. You know, you want to live in a more aligned way. It's because you don't trust other people like that. That is just a sign of <laughs> deep disconnect, deep disbelief. And I'm someone very familiar with that. I have my trust issues up the wazoo 
why do you think I do all of this? I'm doing all of this. So just so that I can get to the base stages of trust, because I don't know what that feels like at all. Because again, just from such a an crazy young age, um, every possible frame of trust just broken <laughs> time and, and time again. And then for so long, I did the damage myself too. Um, but I've worked on my relationships with myself. I've like, I'm not going to go into depth on this at all, but released my past issues and have found like a certain neutrality, radical acceptance, um, all of that jazz. Um, but yeah, you're not giving people a chance to be trusted when you're just controlling the situation always. Um, if you're always playing some kind of game, um, especially if the other person isn't in on it, then it's just a sign of distrust. Um, but yeah, it's a constant choice to simply decide to be present because to me, I guess I don't want to conflate them, but to me being present and being vulnerable and being like, Hey, can I have this conversation about this thing that's being brought up for me? That's being vulnerable and showing a vulnerable side to me is how you can have another person like develop. That's how you can develop trust is by being open and that's why I think when in relationships if if this is a kind of funky thing which I it's a bit of a detour from anything I had written but if one or both people in any relationship is hurt and one or both people stay closed off that's it like that's the end um because if you're going to stay closed off and just continue to like shut down someone's advances, you're choosing to live in the past because you're afraid of getting hurt and you you have a good reason to whatever they've done to hurt you is a reason for you to like be fearful, be cautious, be wary. Um, But if you want the relationship to continue, you have to act in spite of that. You have to be willing to have the conversations in the moment, sometimes with someone that hurt you, um, but about how you wish you had been treated in that moment. And then if they continue to not show up for you in the ways you've explicitly stated that you wish to be showed up for, unless this is some like egregious thing they've done, then like get out, you know? Um, But otherwise, if they then continue to not show up, this is essentially like how to have a second chance, I guess. Um, Then cut ties because that shows they don't care. That shows they're not listening when initially it could have been a mismatch of those rules and this now could be like being closed off could be an overextension of control. So I feel like that maybe also explains what I'm trying to get at where being present, regardless of who hurt you, (laughs) like even though it's a joking phrase in the common culture, uh, like it's real. That's a real, like who hurt you? Cause sometimes it sure as hell isn't me. Um, And that doesn't mean that you should just like leave if someone Sometimes if you see that someone else is going through something and taking it out on you, making the conversation something it's not about, and sometimes the conversation is a metaphor for the relationship, oh my God. Um, If you can tell someone's just trying to work through something else and like using you for that, they're not treating you as a person, like you're a person either. And that's not fair to anybody involved because that's not like a real relationship. They're just using you to try and like, without saying it, maybe without realizing it themselves, work through this past instance. And you can just show up and be like, hey, like I care about you a lot and I feel like you aren't seeing me as a person you're not seeing me as anything other than like a symbol for something else in your life. And that can, that's a little, again, off the path of this. And I don't want to stray too far, but that's something I've thought a lot about as well um, when people become symbology. Because, like I said, specifically with fashion, that's pretty easy to do. Or it'll be like, oh, my God, like this person's new partner looks exactly like me. And if in reference to someone's ex. And that's a very easy like visual cue for someone to then try and like make it work with this other person or just figure out where it went wrong, even though... It'll like they're like oh like these symbols are all the same, they mean the same thing. So in my head, I'm gonna treat this relationship as though I'm working through it. But the thing is, they're a different person, 
And just because you're ignoring the fact that they're a different person doesn't mean they're not a different person. So, of course, it's going to go differently. It's going to go awry because you're in a really fucking weird way. You're treating them with the old person's rules, you know? (laughs) Like, they're this old standard. Not even yours. Not not even, like, it's so crazy. It's like they won't let go of the puzzle and they're going to try and make everyone else fit into the shared puzzle. Like the synergy puzzle, you know what I'm saying? And that is absurd. That's so crazy to me that people really, whew, I have that kind of willful ignorance. All to avoid processing their own shit. All to avoid being present and living a fulfilled, happy life. So that way, the pain they went through makes sense. So that way, the stories they tell themselves about their pain, so that way they're like, oh, I deserved it. So that way they can make themselves keep deserving it. They're going to jump through all these crazy hoops. And that's wild to me. So I'm heated. But, you know, I did that. Like, I've done that. That's why I'm so heated. Because now that I've, like, I've just gone so far. And I'm just like, it's so hard to think about the fact that, like, that's how it used to be and this is like something like this that's me being a little reactionary that's me being a little emotional I'm not triggered by it but I'm like definitely it still sparks is something that used to resonate and it's crazy to me that it used to resonate and I have to keep working on those thoughts and be able to express that like in this moment until even that is kind of neutral to me so that way and the reason that's important to me is because if there's someone in my life where I can see that they're uh, they're going through the same thing or if they're treating me a certain way that's how I make sure that it's not personal that I've acknowledged it's not personal um because the things that we take the hardest it tends to be because it strikes some kind of chord within us and it's not even like someone can try and hurt you but if it's not something you're insecure about (laughs) you're gonna be like where the fuck did that come from you know and so I'm insecure about the fact that this is the way I used to be. And I don't want to be insecure about it. I don't want to have any judgment on myself anymore. And that way I'll be able to offer, like, um, just pure presence to someone else. And, yeah. And this is, like, you could call it selfish, but I don't really see a problem with it if it is. But this is how I'm able to not only give myself what I needed, but be able to ask other people what they need in any moment. Um, because this is a, like a concept in design, but like human centered design, stuff like that is like, you have to build things to fit how people are going to interact with the objects you're designing. In order to do that, you have to ask the communities that will be using these objects, what they think, how they interact with, with these different things. Um, cause it's like, it's. Yeah, it's a really big problem in design where they just completely ignore, especially with accessibility. It's crazy. I uh, there's this thing going around. I think it was on Instagram. Like I just kept seeing it a bunch, but it was this video where they're like, "Oh, it's accessible." And there's a ramp into a building, and then you open the doors, and then it just stares up to the first floor, and it's like you you clearly did not have an audience in mind um or just that that was such an egregious example uh it's kind of crazy but yeah so not so swiftly moving on i'm gonna talk about a physical approach to this so this has all been pretty mental this has all been like in conversation you're i mean feelings are physical too like there there's i mean that's just a fact there's ways to express whatever or it'll be I, spe- I think specifically temperature is a big thing with emotion and it'll be like oh if you're sad like those parts of these parts of you go cold and like anger is like just factually like a hotter emotion kind of thing uh like your, your face will feel warm and all of that so it is still very physical and that's kind of what i'm trying to bridge the gap between like the mind body connection um but i've been focusing very heavily on the mind is what i'm getting at and the kind of presence that can be achieved through working through a mental element. Uh, but I don't want to ignore the physical. Um, there's a book that I read that really helped me. I always get the name wrong. 
it's like the uh, the body keeps the score i think <laughs> um i now hesitate to recommend this book because it turns out that the doctor who wrote it one stole a bunch of his research and then two had a lot of like um i don't, I don't know the exact terms for this but he had like a lot of young women interning for him and it turned out that he like assaulted some of them and I found this out after reading the book and I was like oh oh man uh he should have read what he was researching you know (laughs) but it's just about like physical manifestations of mental trauma but something he doesn't really uh, well I guess it kind of does but physical trauma even more than like sexual like having certain injuries like certain injuries are just called traumatic injuries because they will traumatize your body and your body will react and like even 20 years later you could have shoulder pain from some accident you had in your teens you know uh that'll still reverberate because there's a physical trauma that you have to work through because otherwise your body is just always kind of bracing itself you know and i think this is where people can be a bit foolhardy Um, because there's very much a physical language to the, to things. And as someone who did competitive swimming for a long time, did a very disciplined, rigorous sport. On the one hand, I'm deeply in tune with my body. I like, I, I know every little nook and cranny I can stretch. I, I could give you the best stretching routines if you tell me what small part of you aches um and I'm very like I am capable of having very fluid movement luckily it's not a sport where it's incredibly rigid but it is like I think something's very graceful I think it's beautiful and I can it's fun to like feel the physics and of the water and know how things propel and that kind of relationship is something that I find genuinely stunning um and it's a very physical language as much as I could try to make it <laughs> tangible. It was not the right word. So just I could try to talk about it and try and describe um, what it feels like to know the water so intimately. <laughs> Callbacks. Ooh. Uh, I really have to make things obvious so that way people don't just think I'm weird, even though it's probably already obvious. Um, <laughs> but... Um, so I'm just lucky, I think, that I have such a sustained, like, calm relationship. And I've talked about how I had to work through. I thought that being very emotionally charged with the sport could be beneficial. But because I realized the mind-body connection and, like, leaning into any emotion too much just meant that I was... By the time my head caught up to my body, I was out of sync. And then you're swimming slowly. And so I was... Some messages have been relayed to me about how a friend has gotten really into like this one form of dance and even though he was like a big like did sports as well before that kind of like regimented activity isn't the same as something that seems there's still very much technique to any form of dance but it is more expressive like more artistic um, pretty explicitly. And so he's found a lot of like freedom in that, but it seems like very short, like euphoric bursts that like last the song and it's just like blowing off steam in a way, but steam you didn't know you had and it's revolutionary. But to me, that kind of feels like I would equate it to how I felt whenever I swam with anger or with joy or something like that, where it would, I would just come, the come down would be so much worse. And the thing that I hesitate to say here is, like, I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way to do things. Whenever I'm talking about something, I'm simply saying my experience, how I've gotten to where I am, and what makes me feel more in tune with myself. And I try and give tools to places rather than answers. And so maybe this is just what he's looking for. And there's nothing, there's literally nothing wrong with it. Like, that's fine, too, if you literally just want, like, dance both scene. But it could just create really intense highs and lows. And there's something that I've only realized 
like literally around like turning 22 I think this has been a big part of getting older for me just in general is similar and in, in, in similar lines to swimming where I just found a sustained joy in the movement I also have a sustained mental joy where I just really embrace every emotion that I have and I try and understand it I try not to lean into it. I want to feel things appropriately and understand where they're coming from and learn from myself always and learn from others and the conversations we have about their emotions. And I can be like, oh, like that's a really cool perspective. And you just learn so much from your communities. And that's the whole point. And that's, isn't life beautiful? Anyway, <laughs> I, try, I try so not to just end up like that all the time, but life is so beautiful and so cool and means so much to me. Um, just in awe of that glory, you know, woo. (laughs) But I think it is like, there is a certain threshold of just like being unfamiliar with the practice of dance and then being like, oh, this like everything feels so novel. So in some ways it's very natural that you're going to get like lost in the movement and the kind of, uh, this is what I'm leading into is that specifically it's like a partner dance and it's very like lovely to look at, very cool. Um, but it can feel like intimacy with someone else. It can feel like the same kind of intimacy that's attained through the conversations I'm discussing, where you both are so clear-headed and living in the moment that like the conversations you have with someone that understands you in a certain way, that is unmatched. Like that, that is the best feeling in the world when you just have a flow with somebody. It's crazy. Um, very quick side note before I get back to the dancing um, and the kind of intimacy involved there um, is I'm an INTJ, as we know. And just talking, as we've also been talking about um, MBTI stuff. And I tend to know a lot of the same types. Like I, a lot of my friends are INFPs and a lot of them are ENFPs. Um, like it's kind of crazy anyway um but I know an ENTJ and that was insane like just upon meeting I was like because I like INTJs and ENTJs are very similar and TJ even though there's completely different stacks and everything um a lot of the functions are still very similar and we both MBTI types have a tendency to play a lot of games or like be very in control like you know I'm literally the architect like I I build stuff but it felt like seeing someone in like I am I thinking about Tron Legacy where it's like the room is just empty you know and it's just you and this other person in this room and you can try and do all your usual tricks but at the end of the day it's just like oh like we're just like seeing each other for who we are and as much as that's a result of, like, the people, like, who we are as people rather than just our types, because it's not to say that all INTJs and ENTJs feel like this. Like, it'd be silly to say otherwise. Um, so as much as it is who we are as people, it's also just because, like, that on some level is how ENTJs are meant to make people feel, is, like, that kind of bond. But then there's also the unspeakable, like, unspoken part, unspeakable, <laughs> it's giving Harry Potter... Uh, do not say his name, or he should not be named book. Um, but where is that going? Oh yeah, so as much as it's about like how sometimes it's just a perfect mesh, and then it's usually the people, i.e., the INTJs, who need that like extra feeling of connection to connect, and the ENTJs like, oh, like I'm just some part of this is just how I am with everybody. Um, but the INTJ needs to be like, oh, there's this extra level and that's cool. Um, and that's what you need to trust. And it's just cool how like personality types can work out like that. But that all is just going back to that kind of open conversation, the intimacy of an open conversation taking place in the present. And the thing that worries me about the dancing is that if you're someone who just doesn't always have the most like deep emotional connection to someone, not necessarily due to not unpacking things, but just not being interested in it, maybe even to some degree, um, 
is that this is your conversation. Like, this is just the physical conversation. It could be dance, um, like, any physical activity. You could be, like, it could be a sport. It could be, like, a regimented activity. And you're like, oh, like, we just, we're such great, like, piano partners even. Because there's there's duos for that, right? (laughs) Or if you do, like, synchro for diving. um, You could be like, yeah, we're just literally in such, we're so in tune with each other. We're so in sync. And that could feel like the whole conversation. That could feel like you're having an open conversation. But if you're someone who's new to any of it, especially if this is like with a stranger and you have like a great night of dancing, um, that could so easily become like, oh, we must have an intrinsic connection. When in reality, you're just living on the high of a physical experience that like that openness takes you away from the regimented life you've lived before that so this like burst of activity is like oh it's a respite from how severely like the toll a sport could take on your body because sports can like over time develop like you swimming it's like shoulder problems stuff like that and there is that kind of like time and time again like small traumas and rather than traumas this is where i would get into like being triggered by a convert or no sorry fuck (laughs) not being triggered triggered would be trauma but where you're getting reactionary and it's like, oh, there's this crick in my neck. I got to do this, Blah. you know, feel. And then you just have a slight, slight twinge thinking about swimming. And it's like, oh, but it's a very small callback. So you, basically it's a new activity. It's a new conversation that you're having one you haven't had before. And you're like, oh, this is so exciting. This is so cool. It really resonates. But you like, it's kind of just ignoring everything else that's going on. It's ignoring the buildup that you've had because this outburst seems so different in terms of movement, in terms of thought process, that it's almost avoidant. But at the same time, continuing those activities that make you feel alive, that make you feel open, that make you feel present, I think is very important because that to me means you found a mode of expression that you can work through safely. Like you feel safe there and that's why you're so excited and happy. And then you can work through the, the buildup of other elements of your life. But if you're only going to view it as a way to blow off steam, then nothing really changes. And I guess it's more about like the dedication, but not losing the fun. Um, Because there's this thing, I don't remember his name, but in like concepts of eros there's they say there's like oh there's what is it what's the phrasing they're saying that oh god i'm gonna have to look at the thing one second okay well it was about the eros of intimacy and there's this kind of like at the top of it's a circle but it gets called horseshoe because of how points go and the bottom's like a little so it's an upside down horseshoe the bottom part that fills the ends of the horseshoe is just kind of called mystery but either end of the horseshoe which they're very close together bridged by slight mystery is entering intimacy with a complete seriousness and entering intimacy with a complete playfulness Um, because either can kind of be commented on in this this absurdism kind of way. Um, But at the top, it's the the tip of the horseshoe uh, is the tip, the middle, the highest point. (laughs) I don't know. Um, It's it's like sleepwalking. It's a zombie-like state, and that's when you're always deferring to it. There's no presence. You're living in the past. You're always perpetuating it. And that just means there's like no intimacy in that. You could be like, oh, we're friends. But at that point, the friends, the effort, it's literally just all for the sake of touch time. And everyone's a touch time person in your life. Um, but if you go either in the way of seriousness or playfulness, that's when you can really find intimacy. And when you get to like exploring unknowns rather than just exploring like each other or your relationship instead of just exploring your puzzle. When you're like, oh, like we have this really functioning dynamic that works, that changes with us. We can look out at the world and see how wonderful and cool it is. That's like the ideal intimacy. Ooh, but there is, that does need to be sustained. 
And as much as like the highs and lows can feel so great, especially because it's in comparison to this like deep dark feeling that you just felt. So of course it's gonna feel great. But if you if you just work sorry. If you just work on always being like uh, on having a togetherness with someone or togetherness with a form of expression, being just very familiar with anything, uh, just essentially some kind of stability, and that doesn't have to be traditional at all. It's just whatever you feel like is consistent in your life, whatever you can keep showing up to do, and whatever you feel like is always there in return, person or dancing, activity. This podcast, <laughs> um, it can be a crutch in a way that can be like the routine and meaning and be a big part of it. Um, what was I going to say? <laughs> um, but yeah, so personally for me, I have a few, well, no, rough. I was friends with someone, but I've referenced this in the podcast before. Uh, we're no longer friends because they, I was just like, Oh, I'm just, like, good terms, but it was just like, ah, I'm just not interested in you. But we had, like, a very natural intimacy where it was about, like, serious conversations, but I only had a platonic lens, and I guess to him, that kind of natural intimacy registered as something romantic, and I was like, no, I'm okay. <laughs> like, I believe like, I believe in intimacy with your friends. Like, that's kind of what I was getting at with the last episode. I don't believe in, like, sexual intimacy with them, but I believe in, like, deep, fulfilling, meaningful talks and relationships in every aspect of my life. Um, and so that's why I was like, oh, this is, like, it's just, if this is how the seriousness registers to you, then it's just, like, we probably shouldn't be friends, you know what I mean? Um, but also just in general, like, the seriousness is kind of a hard place for me to be. Um, I like taking the playful route to mystery, you know, um, and it's, oh, fuck, what's it called? It's a very simple name. Is it just, like, optimistic nihilism? It's like, oh, nothing matters, or it's, oh, my God, nothing matters. And it's, like, it can be exciting to build your own meaning instead of exploring the depths of nothingness, because from so much of my life, the depths of nothingness is what I just innately understood. So it's like, damn, it's so fun to just build meaning and play with that for yourself. So I like the playful element. I like feeling like a little kid, especially now that I'm so, like, chill most of the time. <laughs> so, like, grounded and centered almost always. That I'm like, yeah, I just want someone where it's like, we can just have fun. It doesn't have to be so whatever all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not how it appeals to me, is all. Um, there's value in anything, because you give things in your life value, baby. Um, but yeah, I think it's cool that, like, I, because I'm an N, <laughs> intuitive, I tend to have more of a mental approach to things, but that's something I really respect about sensing types, is that they tend to be more drawn, I mean, obviously, exceptions to the rule in either case, because I very deeply value how I physically interact with the world, um, but as uh, sensing types tend to more naturally um, develop and explore these things on a physical level. And so I'd argue that like with this horseshoe, there's like like two axes and then it can kind of become like a weird, like upside down cup. <laughs> um, where it's like, are you interacting mind or body like where along there? And so you could be you and someone you're close to could both be on the playful side of exploring mystery but if one of, and you could feel that connection innately but if one of you is more about like visual physical creation the other one's more about like thinking and talking about it you still might not like match up as well as you think or in a way that you want to or it could limit how you relate to an individual based on the ways in which you explore the world um and I've just heard instances like that because I was like, oh, like you and this person seem like you'd be really good together. I re like I just don't really understand like why you aren't dating. And they're like, oh, well, I just don't think we'd be happy because uh, like though we have this desire for creation and playfulness, it's just expressed differently. And that to me has honestly guided this exact thought. 
Um, so yeah, there still can be a disconnect, even when you're on the same side. So crazy. But that's why I like to just like, I can do the whole thing. I could do the whole cup. I could get to mystery in any way. Um, but I just prefer the playful side. And my natural tendency is to be a little bit more thinking about things. Um, but over the past few years, I've really leaned into just physical expressions. And that's why I was harping so much on play in general. Because play and world building is so sick. And that's such a, like, ooh, sensing intuition. Like, that's beautiful. And why can't that just be life? That's what I want life to be. And that's why I just want, like, a fun little life. You just do things for the plot sometimes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that is the brunt of what I wanted to discuss here. Thank you for listening. Love beams!